Welcome to King Solomon and the Stoics, a project of denverkolel.org. In this episode, we're going to discover the power of speech, the power of the intellect over the imagination, and some powerful ideas about how to battle anxiety. All through the wisdom of King Solomon in the opening verses of chapter 5, Ecclesiastes Kohelas, with the help of the great Rabbi Moshe David Vali in his comments on these verses. Let us begin. What is the human being? The human being is the bridge between heaven and earth. The human being is able to express thoughts, conceptual, intellectual, spiritual thoughts in words, words that take a concrete, finite form, words that lead to action, words that inspire self and others to action. And indeed, the very concept of speech itself is something that can Combines concepts, it combines the world of concepts with the physical because it is expressed using physical faculties, using the physical organs of the human body. And what is being expressed are deeper thoughts. So speech itself combines heaven and earth. And that is the very function of the human being. Solomon says in the, in the first verse of chapter 5, Be not rash with your mouth, and let not your heart be hasty, to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Solomon is telling us not to be hasty with our words, because we have a lot of thoughts flying around in our heads, and a lot of those thoughts have to do with imagination, don't have much to do with true reality. We need to be careful not to be hasty in our words, to make sure that our words are concretizing thoughts that relate to reality itself, thoughts that are true, not thoughts that are false, not thoughts that build an anxious web of imagination. We need to be careful to express thoughts that are true, thoughts that express intellect, not imagination. The imagination is a powerful tool, but it needs to serve the intellect. We need to make sure that it is our intellect, it is our analytical ability, it is our spiritual core that is making the decisions of what thoughts should stay and what thoughts should go, what thoughts should be concretized, should be developed, should be expressed, and what thoughts should be discarded. That is point number one. For God is in the heavens and you are on earth, and therefore your words should be few. You have a job of connecting heaven and earth with your words. Your words are powerful if you make them to be so. Rabbi Moshe Shapiro said a very powerful statement once in a class. He said that from the day that people lost the appreciation of speech, they lost the sense that they matter. They lost their individual expression. They lost the sense that they could contribute to the world. We have to understand that we sit right between heaven and earth, and our words are bringing down into the physical something spiritual and so therefore measure your words make sure that your words are true make sure they're an expression of what your intellect decided should be expressed that way you can attach you can bring together the greatest unity that the world so desperately needs the unity between heaven and earth the unity between spiritual and physical Salma goes on to say, For a dream comes from much concern and foolish talk from many words. We have many, many thoughts, 
And the fool, again, just speaks out all those things, all those things. But much of those things are foolish concerns. Much of those things are foolish thoughts that arise in a person's mind throughout the day. The fool speaks it all out. And a great majority of his words are worthless. And in that sense, the fool has gone ahead and he has cheapened his faculty of speech. He doesn't have the power to concretize, to bring down into this world, to develop a deep desire, a deep yearning, a deep thought. He doesn't. He lost that ability. He lost touch with his inner self. What he expresses with his words are only foolish thoughts that come just from anxious thoughts from being around in the world and being aroused to thinking by the media or whatever it is, but just nonsense when in truth the human being needs to express something individual, something unique to self, something deep. That's the power of speech. And the fool speaks many words, but much of that is nothingness. Much of that is just foolishness. Solomon goes on to say, When you make a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no liking for fools. What you vow, pay. Better that you do not vow at all, than you vow and not pay. Let not your mouth bring guilt on your flesh, and do not tell the messenger that it was an error. Why should God be angered by your speech and destroy the work of your hands? Let's go back and analyze those last three verses, verses 3 through 5. The idea of a vow, the idea of an oath, again, follows the power of speech. It follows this concept of the power of speech. That a human being can take an inspiration, a thought, a desire to do something good, and they can concretize it down into speech. It isn't yet developed into the world of action, but it's halfway there. They've moved it from a concept, from just a sense of maybe I should do this, to a commitment. And that's a very, very powerful thing extremely powerful because it relates to life itself. What is life? Life is not a static existence. Life is an expression, a wellspring of something deep, deep within the person being expressed and brought out into the world. That's what life is about. And when a person makes a commitment, when they bring forth a yearning, a desire, a sense of right or wrong, they should go ahead and accomplish something. And they pledge to do it. They commit to doing it. They've brought something into the world. That commitment is an expression of life. But God forbid that a person should take his commitments lightly. If a person does not pay, says Solomon, he is bringing guilt onto his flesh because he is creating a a dissonance. He's creating a separation, a barrier between concept, between thought, between desire, between will and action. Because he's brought his will, he's brought his desire to do good into the world of speech. But he failed to act on that commitment. He failed to bring that into the world of action. And so now the speech has become cheap. The speech has been shown to be just idle chatter. The speech has been shown to not be something deep that expressed the will of life itself. It was just idle chatter. And the proof is in the pudding because it did not lead to action. In addition, when a person makes a commitment very often, even if they're 95 or 99% focused on the purity of accomplishing the good, on the purity of giving the charity, on the purity of saving the poor, 
but there's usually 1% at least of a sense of I'm doing this, I'm so special. Perhaps other people are aware of that. Perhaps it brings me honor. There's usually some sort of ulterior motive, at least in a very, very minor way. And when the person fails to act on their commitment, what comes through is that they never really committed to do the pure act at all. They were making a statement, perhaps in public, as a sense, as a means of, of seeking and gathering onto themselves more honor, more glory, more attention to look good. But were they really expressing and concretizing a desire to do better, to do good onto others? Well, look at the result. The result was nothing. The result was no help for the poor. So what were they expressing? So retroactively, we can redefine what they were doing as just honor-seeking, and it loses all value. It, it's, it's causing guilt to the flesh, the flesh being the physical. It's causing guilt to the person's flesh. The person could have sanctified their flesh. They could have elevated their physical existence by bringing it together with a deep desire to do good. But no, they created a barrier and a separation by not following through on their commitment, by not bringing the process to completion from thought to speech to action. So it says, Solomon, don't sin against your flesh. We have to understand that God created man in his image, as it says in the opening words in Genesis, in the opening chapters. God created man in his image. And what God reveals to the world, he reveals through man. God is the source of life. And the source of life comes down into our world and it takes on concrete form. It's the life force of all of existence. It's the source of all blessing. When a person swears, when a person takes an oath, when a per person makes a verbal commitment, what they're doing too is drawing down from their intellect, drawing down from the deep source of life within themselves, and they're bringing that forth into the world. Very similar to what God does when He creates, to what God does when He bestows blessing upon the world. And when a person does that properly, they are bringing more power they're bringing greater expression of life into the world. But God forbid, if a person makes a commitment, they're tapping into the source of life and saying, this is now going to be expressed into the physical world. But they fail to follow through and they don't fulfill the commitment. What happens, God forbid, is that on high as well, in, in the bestowal of life into this world, into the blessing and the smooth functioning of the world, is hindered, is hampered, because this person has not expressed properly this source of life coming into a physical expression. Life being brought into the world and giving vitality, giving success to everything around them. This person has hampered that process. Man is to express the process that God creates and that God bestows good. Man is to mirror that in his thought, speech, action. And when man fails to do that, he corrupts the system. And instead of blessing into the world, God forbid, comes the opposite. So we as human beings, we have tremendous responsibility. And specifically in the realm of speech, we have incredible responsibility and we have to be so, so careful. Solomon said, Why should God be angered by your speech and destroy the work of of your hands. 
Let's say a person erred. A person made a mistake. A person didn't follow through on a commitment. We have a tendency to write it off. We have a tendency to say, you know, it wasn't such a big deal. That's a tremendous mistake. Don't tell the angel that it was a mistake. That's running away from reality. We have messed up. We have done something wrong. Take ownership. Face the reality. And by f- when we face the reality, we can consider that we have the power of speech to rectify the wrongs that we've done. The power of speech not only can bring tremendous life to the world, but when we've messed up, the power of speech can bring us before God, can allow us to stand before God and admit to our wrongdoings. And there's such power to that admission. Because a person, when he admits, even before God, the Talmud relates in Brachos, a person should not just walk around recounting their sins for all and sundry. A person should admit primarily before God. Of course, there's a place for seeking help. There's a place for conversations. There's a place for support from other people. But as a whole, confession is to be made before God. And it's such a powerful thing. A person stands before God naked. They let go. They don't have to hold on to any sense of ego that says, no, I was right. They let completely go. I was wrong. When one expresses that with words, they're bringing forth from deep within a sense of what reality is and what reality isn't and how they've erred, how they've gone against the principles of life. And when they express that with words, they realign their inner self with reality. They realign themselves with the will of God. That expression, that confession, that speech is so powerful. It can fix, it can compensate, it can bring things back together that were pulled apart, that were ruined. The discord that was created through speech can be fixed through speech. So don't say before the angel, it was a mistake. When you say something wrong, when you insult or hurt someone, take ownership. Align your deeper self with the truth of reality. And you'll find the ability to rectify, the ability to make amends, the ability to make things better again. Salman goes on to say, Why should God be angered by your speech and destroy the work of your hands? In spite of all dreams, futility, and idle chatter, rather fear God. Don't get stuck and lost in dreams, futility, and idle chatter. Rather fear God. What does this mean? The great Ramosh David Vali explains that if we look at the words, rather fear God, they are in Hebrew, es elokim yira. And what that means, if we look at the last letters backwards of those three words, this is one of the methods of analyzing scripture, of analyzing the words and extracting deep meaning. If we look at the last letter of the word yira, which means the fear, it is an aleph. The last letter of Elohim, God, is a mem. And the last letter of et, which means in this context perhaps rather, that letter is tough. And together that reads emet, emes, truth. A person has two options. They can get stuck in the dreams, in the futility, in the idle chatter, in the world of non-reality. Or, as Solomon tells us, rather fear God. Stick with the truth. That's where success is. That's where all goodness is. Stick with the truth. Stick with fear of God. Stick with reality. We don't have to give space. We don't have to provide rent-free lodgings in our minds, in our hearts, 
for just every and any thought that begs entry. If a thought arises in our mind, we can give it less credence and give others more credence. We can understand that re- there's a reality. We can understand that there's fear of God. We can understand those things. We can believe in those things. We can affirm those things. And we can begin to push aside just idle chatter, idle thinking, which leads to so much anxiety. A person can have so much fear and sense of unknown. They can think about how their sins perhaps will lead to all sorts of suffering and punishment and get completely lost and consumed in anxiety. Or, says Solomon, they can focus on fear of God. They can focus on what is true and then realize that with their speech, they can realign themselves. They can put them back into the right path and once again, live a life of reality, live a life of truth, live a life of blessing. That's the tremendous power of speech because speech is not only about verbalizing something, but in its roots, speech begins the process of breaking down the thoughts, of defining the thoughts. And it speaks to the fact that a person has the free-willed intellect that he can choose and say, this is a thought I want, and this is a thought that I want to discard. That's the power of the free-willed human being. Let us endeavor to recognize that we as human beings, we express divinity. And if we can connect thought, speech, action in a positive way, the world will be a better place as a result. Thank you for listening.